0: Greetings to you and thanks for joining me for another edition of The Intersection Podcast with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Well, coming up, you'll be hearing from Sergeant Retired Carlos Evans of the U.S. Marine Corps. He served his country bravely. He was deployed to Afghanistan where he stepped on an IED and lost both legs and a hand. His faith in Christ has sustained him. You'll be hearing about some aspects of his faith journey ahead. Then it's the founder of Mama Bear Apologetics, which is a consortium of writers and speakers equipping parents on matters related to Christian apologetics. Comments from Hillary Morgan Ferrer are coming up. And from Visionary Family Ministries, Rob Reno has some comments underscoring the importance of fathers and touches on the biblical role of men and women. And on this edition of The Intersection, on the fourth anniversary of the misguided decision of the U.S. Supreme Court legalizing so-called same-sex marriage, Americans for Truth, partnering with others, held a rally in Washington, D.C. I spoke with the head of that organization, Peter LaBarbera, who shares perspective on the LGBTQ movement and people who have exited that lifestyle and experienced freedom in Christ. Then, Otis Ledbetter of Sunrise Church in California Sharing about what he has observed from the scriptures about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit is outlined in Galatians 5. Those two are in conflict with each other over the territory of our souls. Some of his insight is ahead. Finally, it's Ralph Inlow of the Association for Biblical Higher Education who shares perspective on what it truly means to be great based on the teachings of Jesus who emphasizes servanthood toward others as a critical component of leadership. This is the intersection of production of the Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. This podcast is being released during the week of Independence Day. Recently, I had the opportunity to share a conversation with Marine Corps Sergeant Retired Carlos Evans, who was severely injured in Afghanistan. He lost both legs and one of his hands, yet, he continues to trust in the Lord and with his wife, Rosemary, by his side, possesses a joyful, faith-filled outlook, providing encouragement to trust God in the midst of adversity. They are the co-authors of the book, Standing Together, the Inspirational Story of a Wounded Warrior and Enduring Love. Here now is Carlos Evans.
1: When I woke up in the hospital, uh, I didn't know what happened to me. So seven days after I was in a, I was in a coma, induced coma, I woke up in the hospital. And the first person that I saw was my wife, Rosemary. She notified me what happened to me, that I, was, I didn't have any legs and I'm missing my left uh, hand. So when I first knew that, I was grateful to be alive, but everything started sinking. in. I'm not going to be able to be the father that I promised my daughters I was going to be. We have two little daughters, uh, Nairobi and Genesis. And I wasn't going to be able to be the husband that I promised to be to my wife so it, it was it was very hard uh, going back home I remember uh, well during that period uh, we went to our our home in North Carolina and I remember when we're going to the to our home I couldn't I couldn't go inside my own house house that I bought I couldn't even go inside because I was in my wheelchair uh, I couldn't go inside my rooms I couldn't I, it was I, I saw my car, I saw my clothes, my shoes, everything that I identified with, and I used to, and I was saying to myself, all this that's right here makes me who I am, and now I cannot, you know, enjoy any of this. You know, these shoes make me who I am. This car says who I am. This house says who I am. You know, I remember that day crying. When I was in a in an identity crisis, and I got a word. You know, this house doesn't say who you are. This cards doesn't say who you are. My word says who you are, and you are my son. Mm. <laughs> you're not a victim. You're a conqueror. You're the father of the Nairobian Genesis. You're the husband of Rosemary. And and it, and it kind of changed my life that, you know, I, I am more than, than, than the things that surround me. I'm a son of God, and I'm not a victim of that explosion. I'm a victim of my ID. And that the best days of my life were not behind me are ahead of me. So oh, yeah that that identity that that kind of started shifting things in my life.
0: Wow. Well, God's Word is certainly powerful, as the Bible says in Hebrews yeah. chapter 4, the Word of God is living and active. So you really personalize who God said you are. There were some practical implications of that, and I yeah. want you to, to share with us what sort of decisions, what sort of plan or strategy that you and Rosemary had as you began to develop what you could call this new normal.
1: Well... It, 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 the situation is, I, I see my my wife. My wife is a nurse, so you know the Lord was preparing her <laughs> this whole time. Mm. My wife is my wife is an ICU nurse. Rosemary's an ICU nurse, and I thought that in the beginning, I thought that it was going to be. It wasn't fair for her to continue her relationship with me, because how can you love someone that's broken? You know how can you love someone that has changed? And I, I didn't think she was gonna, she she was gonna be able to, to demonstrate that love. I didn't think it was fair for her. So I was trying to push her away from my life. And one day, in the middle of everything, I was going through a a crisis, uh, dealing with, dealing with depression, PTSD. I was suicidal. I was taking many medications. I was ready to give up. And I go to my wife, I tell Rosemary, Rosemary, this is, why don't you continue with your life? And and I continue with my life because, you know, that looked like the easiest thing, you know, the easiest easiest way out. It wasn't that I didn't love her. It was that I didn't love my new body. I didn't love myself. So it was very hard to demonstrate that love. And I remember Rosemary looking at me. uh, She gets on her knees and, 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 and looks at me in the eyes and she tells me when the Marines came to the house and the chaplain told me what happened to you, I prayed to the Lord and I said, God, bring them back home. I don't care if he doesn't have any legs, he's missing a hand, bring them back home. And she told me, and here you are right in front of me alive. I'm not a widow and your daughters are not orphans. I love you for the man you are today. And I love you for the man that you're going to be tomorrow. And that was a breakthrough in my life.
0: Carlos Evans here on The Intersection. You can learn more about them and the organization Touching Lives, Leaving Footprints through the website CREvans.org. Next up, it's the founder of the consortium Mama Bear Apologetics, Hilary Morgan Ferrer the general editor of a book called Mama Bear Apologetics, empowering your kids to challenge cultural lies. In our conversation, she discussed the concepts of the organization and the book, providing encouragement for parents to share truth with their families. Here now from that conversation is Hilary Morgan Ferrer.
2: The number one thing I knew is I didn't want to write a book that was already out there. And so we just tried to start brainstorming and say, like, what is really on mom's mind? Because with a lot of the evidential stuff, to start from scratch with your kids, I think it's good. We need to do it. And I think Natasha has done a wonderful book for parents to do that. But we thought, what isn't being covered? And the thing that really was burdening my heart is where are these questions coming from? Because these questions just don't come out of the blue. If you look at the kinds of questions that, that we ask as kids, and then you even talk to our parents and our grandparents' generation, what kind of questions were they asking? They weren't asking the same kinds of questions that kids today are asking. They are, um, and so we, we just went through what are some of the worldviews that are at play, and how can we explain those to moms to where they already know. They've, they've already seen culture kind of at war with uh, Christian values, with Christian belief, um, we thought what would empower them, what would make them help them make sense of the world that they're seeing so it's not just another piece of information that they have to memorize. It's more like taking information they already have, observations they've already made and giving them the words to talk about that. And that is really the response we've gotten back from a lot of the women who have read this, that they say, oh my gosh, I knew all this was going on. I just didn't have the words to talk about it. Um, so in, in that case, I think that's, I mean, it's good for everybody, but it's especially good for moms, too. I just think moms are a special demographic that are busier than other demographics. And I wanted something that was going to help them rather than feel like another burden um, on them, something that would make them feel empowered. And that's exactly what we did.
0: What do you see as being maybe one or two of the principal questions that children and young people are asking today regarding matters of faith?
2: Well, one of the obvious ones, and I say this because I have my master's in biology, is just all the questions regarding science and faith. And there is this uh, idea that science and faith are polar opposites. It's, you know, two sides of a coin that never are they going to meet. And that is just not the case. And so this idea, especially about beginnings, which I talk about in Chapter 6 on naturalism, um Looking at first causes. How did the universe come to exist? Well, we can come at this from a naturalistic perspective, meaning that matter is all there is. Natural laws are all there are. Or we can come at this from the perspective of the supernatural. If there's something involved here, we see order, we see design, we see, I mean, if you look at the genetic code, the kind of programming, literal programming that is in the genetic code I really think that you have to shut your brain off to say, oh, that all came about by natural causes. But that, so that would be the most obvious one. But the second one I was saying, isn't actually a question. It's more of an assumption that I see kids coming, uh, not just kids, but I mean, college kids, adults, everybody, it's just, we are so steeped in our, in this, in, in this generation, and this culture. And that is knowing how they can know truth, which Postmodernism deals with this idea of how do we know what is true? Moral relativism deals with that. And then I think the kind of the most important chapter, in my opinion, one of the ones that makes a lot of things make sense, the emotionalism chapter of really understanding how people have turned their emotions from being responders to being leaders. My emotions tell me what is true, and therefore I'm going to leave from that. I mean, if you can think of how many things you've seen just follow your heart. On. And from a Christian perspective, we say, no, the heart's a bad thing to follow. You know, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all well who can understand it. Um, but as kids are coming, we're, we're having to tell them, no, your emotions are not telling you truth all the time. They can if they're disciplined with things like reality <laughs> and scripture uh, then, then you can trust them and, and, and sound reason. But um, I'd say a lot of the questions are coming from the fact that kids don't know what is the foundation they're supposed to be standing on. Because even if we just say your foundation is Christ, well, then that brings up all the evidential questions. Why should I trust him to be my foundation? It just it, it, it all kind of snowballs from there.
0: Hillary Morgan Ferrer here on The Intersection. The website address is mama, M A M A, com. Rob Reno is co-founder of Visionary Family Ministries and shared information relative to the importance of fatherhood and discussed the biblical roles of men and women. Rob and his wife Amy have put together a video series entitled Generations Follow Jesus as a Family. Here now is Rob Reno.
3: One of the centerpiece scriptures for dads comes out of Ephesians 6. You know, Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, you have so much uh, instruction from God for the Christian home. And there's that powerful text in Ephesians 6, 4, where God says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. In other words, don't arouse deep anger and bitterness in their hearts. And then it says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And if there was a scripture that captured what being a dad is all about, that is it. That our number one mission as fathers is to help our kids follow Jesus forever. And this whole, you know, this whole conversation we're having is really very personal for me, not just because we have seven children. But, you know, in 2004, God did a pretty big miracle in my life. Amy and I had been married 10 years. We had four children at the time. I was a youth pastor those first 10 years. And as a youth pastor, the the number one mission of my life was passing my faith to other people's children, right? So I'm gonna pray with other people's children, read the Bible with other people's children. I'm gonna take them on retreats and mission trips. We're gonna do lock-ins with the junior hires, which is a horrible idea. But uh, you know, I, I loved youth ministry and helping the next generation follow Christ. The problem was I was praying with other people's kids, reading the Bible with other people's kids, and not doing any of that stuff at home with my kids. I was a very passionate spiritual leader at church and very passive in my house. And it was that summer where God really brought me to a place of brokenness and repentance and turned my heart to these scriptures that where my number one mission as a dad uh, isn't just sports and school and friends, but it's helping my kids follow Jesus.
0: We've heard the statistics about fatherlessness. And we see that across our society. It really has some negative effects on culture at large when children are not receiving the biblical instruction from fathers at home or just having a father present in the home. It affects the culture, doesn't it?
3: In a huge way. You know, so many of the, the struggles we're seeing culturally and morally and I guess you could say the spiritual attacks uh, against our culture really are Genesis 1, 2, 3 attacks. You know, Satan and the demons, they, they strike the base of God's plan for the world. And right in Genesis 1, you'll, God as creator, manhood, womanhood, sexuality between one man, one woman, marriage only. These really are the, the fundamental building blocks of the whole world that God built the family as the primary nurturing ground for the next generation. So Satan and the demons put their firepower there, obliterating manhood, womanhood, the uniqueness of male and female, uh, sexuality in the context of marriage only. So as churches are, you know, we have a lot of churches that are, you know, they, they outcry against this, this, and this in the culture, and that's a fair thing to do. Uh, but ultimately the remedy is in the gospel message and the strengthening of the home, which is the base for God's purposes.
0: What would you add as far as other missions of the Christian husband?
3: Yeah, right in Ephesians 5, God gives a job description to husbands. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. And in our Visionary Marriage book and video series, we go through this in great detail, but the crash course here, husbands love, husbands serve. In other words, we lay our lives down for our wives, and then husbands lead spiritually, that the ultimate purpose of the husband is to be a spiritual leader and a spiritual nurturer for his wife. And I look at those three assignments God's called to me. My wife Amy and I were celebrating 25 years of marriage this summer. That I'm supposed to love, and that's First Corinthians 13. I got to be patient with her. I got to be kind with her. I can't keep a record of the wrong things she's done. I've got to persevere. All this, I just fall short every single solitary day. And the first thing, my first like takeaway from this list of love, serve, lead for the husband, is going to God and saying, God, I just don't have it in me. I don't have the faith. I don't have the virtue. I don't have the character to be this kind of, of man. My only hope on a daily basis to be a Christian husband is if the Holy Spirit will supernaturally enable me to be the man that I'm not.
0: Rob Reno here on The Intersection. Find out more by going to the website visionaryfamfam.com. Well, this is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through the website meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. At The Meeting House homepage, you will find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. You can also find the podcast in The Media Center. You can subscribe via iTunes as well. Plus, there are links to two blogs, One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Also, there is a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2019 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim, California. The podcast also is available through the Faith Radio app. You can find out more when you go to faithradio.org and learn about other apps through which you can access the podcast through the Meeting House homepage. Peter LaBarbera is president of Americans for Truth about homosexuality. Recently, he discussed with me a rally held in Washington, D.C. on the anniversary of the Obergefell Supreme Court ruling on gay marriage. He highlighted people who have experienced freedom from homosexuality and same-sex attraction through Christ. From that conversation, this is Peter Labarbara now.
4: Isn't it amazing? This uh, supposedly august ruling of v. Hodges was actually built on a lie, on a myth. Uh, he, it's actually stated in the ruling, you write the word immutable as applied to, quote, sexual orientation. Now, sexual orientation is only really a politically correct word for homosexuality, and gender identity is a politically correct word for transgenderism. Well, guess what? It's a total lie, because we know I've had the privilege of meeting many, several dozen people over my lifetime working on this issue who've come out of homosexuality. I'm sitting in the car right now next to Stephen Black, who spoke at the rally Stephen's got a wonderful testimony of coming out of homosexuality. The Lord delivered him. It's the power of Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ can can deliver murderers, can deliver drug addicts, can deliver anybody, well, of course Jesus can help people caught up in sexual sin um, find freedom and wholesomeness and righteousness. And he's done that in Stephen's life. He's done it in so many others. So we had Stephen, we had Laura, uh Laura Perry, who came out of transgenderism, she'd actually gone through the surgery, the awful, destructive trans surgeries in which these women, incredibly, Bob, are having their healthy breasts surgically removed. Can you imagine? And and she, the Lord delivered her out of transgenderism. She's changed. We had Grace um, Harley, who's a good friend of mine, who was an African-American woman who thought she was a man. The Lord delivered her, and she said in our rally today, she doesn't, she's not tempted there anymore. she's not attracted to women anymore. And we had Doug Mainwaring, who's who came out of homosexuality. He writes for LifeSite News. All these wonderful people speaking, and that each one of them gave the lie to Justice Kennedy's false claim that homosexuality is immutable. And so this fiction must be overturned, the whole predicate for the ruling is false.
0: And we're seeing things like the Equality Act. I'd like for you to comment on that as well. And we're seeing across the board, for instance, these cases such as Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop case, the Kleins down in Oregon who received a favorable report from the U.S. Supreme Court here recently. But there are those that would want to completely victimize and defeat those who hold to a different opinion.
4: Absolutely. We're talking about a totalitarian movement in, in the in the sense of people, for example, look what they're doing to ex, ex-gays. They are trying to ban uh, so-called reparative therapy, which is essentially talk therapy therapy for people to get out of who don't want to embrace a gay identity or a trans identity, and they are trying to ban it. Now, how is that upholding our First Amendment. Um, and they started with kids, and now they're moving on to adults. They, we saw what they did to the Christians. They intentionally set up the Christians. They, they want to turn Christians, and they call them haters and homophobes, and they tell all sorts of lies, and then they try to ban speech. We saw, we saw recently Stephen Crowder, who's a, a conservative, He was uh, uh, not deplatformed, demonetized from YouTube because of the complaints of a homosexual activist, because he poked fun at a homosexual activist. So there's so much that this movement has done, which reveals their heart. And they do not recognize that there is another side, a legitimate other side, and they call it hate, and then they start moving to ban it. And the Equality Act itself, which is the most dangerous LGBTQ legislation that ever came down the pike, the Equality Act itself specifically overwrites it would it would overrule the, the, the RIFRA, which is a, stands for the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was a law passed to protect Christians' religious liberty. The Equality Act, which is a homosexual legislation that would put sexual orientation and gender identity into are our, our, our basically our civil rights code, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, this bill, which is H.R. 5, specifically overrides the language of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. That tells you all, all you need to know. In other words, homosexual supremacy, I suppose you could say, because it's saying that gay rights, so-called, supersede our freedom to disagree.
0: Peter LaBarbera here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website americansfortruth.com. Next, it's Otis Ledbetter, senior pastor of Sunrise Church in Clovis, California. He discussed with me the works of the flesh and fruit of the spirit from Galatians 5 and shared principles he explores in the book Soul Hunger, Satisfy Your Heart's Deepest Longing. From that conversation, this is Otis Ledbetter.
5: I ran into so many different people Bob, that um, would tell me, you know, I go to church, and I go regularly. I read my Bible every day, and I pray every day, and that's what I've been told to do in order to walk in the Spirit, and yet I'm still stymied, I'm still stuck, and I don't know why. Can you explain that to me? And I didn't know how to explain it. I, uh, I started asking God, I, I need answers for these people, and what he did in the course of my just reading the Scriptures through, I got I got stuck in Galatians chapter 5, and there I ran across two lists, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, and it began to bother me that they were side by side in the same verse, because they appear to have nothing to do with each other. And um so I stayed there a little while. I don't know if, if anybody's ever been there where that scripture just doesn't make sense to you and you have to stay there for a little while. But it, it, it sort of was haunting to me. I almost felt sacrilegious in the sense of, of having those two um those two lists side by side because one the fruit of the spirit, I mean there's no law against that, the other's the works of the flesh and it just looks like a garbage pail running over with human debris. And um, what do they have to do with each other? And yet God has them in the same chapter, side by side. So you know what I did? I, At my office, I put the large executive pass, uh, post-it notes. One on the left side was uh, the works of the flesh, and one on the right side was the fruit of the Spirit. And I would come in every day for months, and I would just ask God, reveal to me what you want me to know out of that. And, you know, if you put those two lists together, anybody that sits down and puts them juxtaposed one list against the other, a third list will begin to emerge. And that's what happened to me. So I put post-it notes for the third list, and I just began to write some things on it that that God was illuminating in my heart. And what I saw, um, like I said, what I saw gave me pause um, because uh, it began to look like they have something in common. I asked my, some of my seminary professors, I called them and asked them, what do the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit have in common? And they said to me, absolutely nothing. I asked some of my uh, really a deep theologian uh, pastor friends, I called them, and I asked them, what do they have in common? They said the same thing, basically. They have absolutely nothing in common. And yet those list on that wall were saying something different to me. Um, and uh, for instance, if you look at the first fruit of the spirit, it's love. And if you look at the first two works of the flesh, it's adultery and fornication. Actually, what the flesh, the world calls making love. And then, if you look at the at joy, and it the next two works of the flesh are uncleanness and lewdness, cheap thrills, you know, a cheap joy, a uh, uh, sort of thing. And I began to see something that um, uh, was common here. And I realized that before he gave those lists in Galatians 5, he wrote, the spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the spirit. And I began to wonder, well, what are they warring over? As far as I'm concerned, my soul is secure so they're not uh, it's not over my soul so what is it over and i begin to identify ground zero that common ground because if there are two factions fighting they're facing one another they're opposing and there's going to be that ground in between nobody goes to war over something they don't want nobody wars over something that's not important and that ground zero i begin to see were hungers that were given to me given to us and um, God gave them to us at, at at creation. He gave gave it to us at birth. And Satan comes along and says, well, if you've got those fruits of the Spirit, he wants to be as close to God and yet as anti-God as he can. I'll put something together. And he has two for every one that God offers. So that war, Ground ground Zero, is a never-ending war on a daily basis for common territory to keep you from walking in the spirit. And I saw
0: that. Otis Ledbetter here on The Intersection. The book website is hungertest.com. Ralph Inlow serves as the president of the Association for Biblical Higher Education and shared with me principles of leadership, including the teachings of Jesus on greatness, as he expresses in the book, Servant of All, Reframing Greatness and Leadership Through the Teachings of Jesus. From a recent conversation, this is Ralph Inlow.
6: Bob, I was teaching adult Sunday school about uh, more than 15 years ago, probably closer to 20 years ago, and I was doing a study of the life of Christ. Um, and uh, this passage uh, came up in the course of that Sunday school teaching, so I was uh, studying it. Of course, it intersects with uh, my longtime personal and professional interest in the subject of leadership. But uh, what the discovery that I made at that time was that um, this one-sentence statement that Jesus makes about greatness that many of us have heard before is actually part of a much larger piece of fabric in terms of the background of that statement and then Jesus' exposition on that statement. So uh, that was when I first realized uh, that there's a lot richer biblical set of substance there with regard to this question of greatness and the implications for those of us who are called to lead.
0: Well, if you would, please take us to Mark chapter 9, as Jesus talked about the person who wants to be first must be the last or the servant of all. My paraphrase there. Set that up for us. What's the context, and what do you see in this passage that makes it so important for the child of God? Well, in
6: the context of Mark chapter nine, um, you the, the the actual statement is framed by this little uh, verse, uh, Mark nine thirty three. They came to Capernaum. Where he, when he was safe at home, this is Jesus, when he was safe at home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? So uh, we know from Mark and Luke and Matthew that these conversations are all related. So he's referring back to something that had been talked about for some time, and we learn uh, from both Matthew and Mark that uh, it was on the subject of who was the greatest, Uh, In fact, when Jesus asked the question, the text tells us the disciples were quite sheepish in the way they answered because they knew that he had overheard a conversation that uh, they really didn't want him to be aware of.
0: So as they discussed this, and then Jesus confronted them or called them out on it, what did you see, or what do you see, that the definition of greatness in the eyes of the disciples was versus what Jesus would want to get across to them?
6: Well, it was uh, the definition they had in their mind was related to uh, two things, really. Uh, Comparisons, Uh, in fact, some translations, Uh, actually render the Greek there not so much who is the greatest but who is the greater the idea being uh, the inference there being one of comparison the other thing is that greatness has primarily to do with status so you would say the the conventional thinking the worldly thinking about greatness is that it's a comparative term that has to do with our status relative to other people Jesus, of course, turns that uh, concept on its head, and he, he makes it clear in his statement and in the exposition that follows that Jesus is not about comparative status relative to other people, but it's about character and about uh, the disposition
0: of being a servant to all. Ralph Inlow here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the publisher's website. It's Lexham, lexham The Association for Biblical Higher Education website is A-B-H-E dot O-R-G. Well, I'm about to wrap up this edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests heard on The Intersection Podcast. You can also find the current episode and previous editions of the podcast in that Media Center. It's also available through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is the three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is the front room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There is also a link to video content. The Intersection Podcast is also available through the Faith Radio app. Learn more when you visit faithradio.org and it's available through other apps as well. Find out more through the Meeting House homepage. Well, thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.